Hello, you're listening to Unpacking the Case, a podcast by David Jones-Bold, the real estate law specialist. Today, and as ever, I am joined by our head of legal training, Richard Snape. Hello, Lizzie. Hello, Richard. Thank you for joining me today. So we're here, this is our kind of first newsflash of July, um, but we're actually here to discuss a Court of Appeal judgment that came out on the 29th of June. Um, it's the 1st of July today as we're recording. And that was the Monosolar IQ Limited and Woden Park. Do you want to just start by telling us a, a few of the background facts on this one? Yeah, although uh, it's, it's a sort of timely reminder for, for conveyances of something that occurs, you know, case law occurs every few years. Um, the background, it's, uh, it was, as the name suggests, it's a solar farm. It was actually a place called uh, Michaelston uh, Lipit in uh, the Vale of Glamorgan, just outside Cardiff, South Wales. And uh, it was a 38-acre site that was owned by Woden Park. But uh, back in 2013, they granted a lease for 25 and a half years of 15 acres of this uh, site uh, for Monosolar to put up their solar panel farm. And they'd agreed a rental of uh, £1,000 per acre, uh, so £15,000 for the whole site per annum. But it increased. I won't try to explain the, uh, the mathematics of it. The reason I did law as a career is to try and avoid mathematics like the plague. And it means very little to me, and that's not a joke. Uh, but uh, it, the first uh, yearly increase would be by a retail prices index. But on the second uh, increase for the second year, uh, you'd find the new retail prices index, but also add the old one. And you keep doing that, they kept aggregating one another. So you've got 25 lots of retail prices indexes all added together um, by the end of this uh, this lease. And the tenants argue that that must have been a mistake by the both the parties because the consequences would be horrendous for them. Um, the tenants calculated that uh, if you based a retail prices index on the last 20 years, uh, the average, which is low historically, would be 2.855%. Um, and if you had to aggregate them, the tenant in the last year will be paying just over 66, uh, 76 million pounds uh, for this uh, particular site, which is a huge amount of money. Whereas if it was just RPI not aggregated each year, it would be 30,000 um, pounds. There's been, as I mentioned, quite a few cases over the years. Um, some people might even remember back in the 70s and 80s, there was the so-called Blue Dolphin litigation. Most of the cases uh, were settled without going to court, but they were basically Blue Dolphin fish and chip shops up and down the country, many of them in the West Country and coastal towns, uh, where they had a calculation of the, the rent reviews whereby they were paid millions of pounds per annum for their little fish and chip shops 30, 40 years ago. So it's not exactly new. Um, There'd been a case uh, called Chartbrook and Persimmon, a Supreme Court case in 2009, which is nothing about rents. It was actually about overage clauses. Uh, but they basically said uh, in the Supreme Court case that uh, if you uh, come to a conclusion that doesn't make commercial common sense and leads to an absurdity, uh, then uh, the courts can rewrite the clause. And they decided, well, both the High Court decided in July of last year, 
and it was confirmed uh, two days ago as we talk now by the Court of Appeal, this would lead to a commercial uh, absurdity. Uh, and therefore they would change the provisions whereby you'd only be paying 30,000 pounds. And that was the basic idea, but uh, unfortunately uh, it doesn't uh, stop there. What did the court decide then? Uh, well, so the decision was basically that uh, the clause, the rent review and the indexing would be rewritten so there'd be no aggregating of the rent reviews. So how does that tally um, with the Supreme Court case of Arnold and Britain? Uh, well, the Court of Appeals said that um, it was completely in line with Arnold and Britain, um, but I'm not sure it was. I'll briefly mention the background to Arnold and Britain. It was yet another South Wales case from the Gower Peninsula, the Oxwich Bay Holiday Park, and it was 91 holiday chalets uh, on 99-year leases that were uh, entered into, um, well, the, the commencement date was uh, December the 25th, 1974. Uh, and there were various different versions of the leases, but the ones in question, um, they started off paying a ground rent of only £10 per annum, uh, but they paid something called a service charge with a fixed service charge, so it's not really a service charge that reflects um, maintenance and the likes, it's more akin to a ground rent. And that started off at £90 per annum, quite a tidy sum of money in the mid-1970s, but worse still, uh, it increased every year for the next 99 years uh, by 10% compound interest. Now, as I mentioned earlier, and it is not an exaggeration, I chose law as a career to avoid maths like the plague. Uh, there was a time when I could do some SDLT in my head, and I'm now limited to telling you instantly the SDLT on a residential property, the purchase price at less than £40,000. But apart from that, I, I, I have problems. I don't collectively think lawyers are very good at mathematics. I consider myself to be more like an artist. Um, uh, but uh, after some years, they realised that ground rents were going up rather dramatically, and they found that to their horror, that by the end of the lease, uh, they would be paying £554,000 per annum for their holiday chalet. Apparently, these are the ones without the sea views. And if you wanted a sea view, it would be over a million pounds per annum. And they went all the way to the Supreme Court. So it's not dissimilar. It's not the same set of facts. But you can see a similarity between that and the Monostola IQ case. And the Supreme Court in that particular case said you have to judge everything at the time the lease was entered into and the contract was entered into. And the mid-70s uh, were a time of very high inflation. Um, it's, uh, and also they said that uh, if there's no ambiguity, you shouldn't be rewriting the clause. And there was no ambiguity here, it was quite clear cut. And the mere fact that somebody does badly out of it, somebody else does well out of it, was an irrelevance. And I, I say in the, um, in the Monosola case, the Court of Appeals said that that is perfectly in, in accordance with um, Arnold and Britain. Because in Arnold and Britain, it was from a time when there was high inflation, not quite that high. Um, and we'll have to see. So although the tenants won in Monosola, I think there's still big question marks over it. I actually came across one, uh, if you want to use this, um, at least all ground rents. It was uh, residential dwellings. A friend I know in London, and she told me uh, a couple of years ago, not so long ago, that she was acting on the purchase of a flat in, a, in, a, in Waterloo, a new build block of flats in Asian investor buying. 
And she pointed out to the developers that the ground rent started at uh, £400 per annum, which in that part of London at the time was not unusual, even for a long residential lease. But it doubled every 10 years for the next 999 years. <laughs> and the final ground rent would be what, Lizzie? Don't ask me. I've done just as good a job as you as uh, avoiding maths in my career. The number of atoms in the universe. And she pointed out to the developers, solicitors, we can't accept this. And the answer came back, we know there's a problem, but we've already sold 30 units and you're the first to say anything. I think lawyers can easily miss these clauses. So what should the conveyances be concerned with then? Well, especially with some of the more unusual index linking. I mean, that Monosola case, I've seen examples both in commercial property and residential, which are, are pretty much the same. And I've seen rent review provisions, again, in commercial and residential ground rents as well, where you have to sort of really slow down and piece together what they actually mean, and not always for the more expensive properties. Um, and uh, the worst case scenario is the lawyer might just be the one who foots the bill in the long term through negligence. There was mm -hmm. a case um, much discussed at the moment because of all the ground rent issues and uh, that have been causing problems in residential properties for a good seven or eight years since Arnold and Britain drew attention to the problem, really. There was a case called County Personnel and Alan R. Pulver, which is a commercial property case from 1987, where it was a sublease that was tied to uh, the head lease. Uh, and uh, the court decided, as a consequence of this, the, you know, the, the sublet tenant's rent would be uh, well, very, very high to such an extent they had to buy themselves out of the, uh, out of the lease. Uh, but they successfully sued their solicitors. Most of the case involved discussing the level of damages, but uh, that's the worst case scenario. And if you have any question mark whatsoever, I don't think it's a lawyer's job to spot onerous lease clauses. It's not a lawyer's job to think about the valuation issues. And you should be suggesting to your client, if you have any doubts whatsoever, you refer the matter to a valuer. And don't be blinkered by the fact that uh, in Momosola, the tenants won, they could have easily gone the other way. Well, thank you, Richard. And thanks for jumping on here again for another News Flash episode. And thank you to our listeners. I hope you found that informative. And we look forward to seeing you in our next episode.